And moving to LA or anywhere after college is difficult because you have just, you've just, you know, you just graduated. Your ego is crazy. You feel like you're on top of the world. You can take, you, you know, you can do anything. And then you move to LA and so many people are telling you, you can't do anything. You have to, you know, having that support system is so necessary um, for competition against ourselves and each other and just staying focused and yeah, and having fun and just not putting pressure on it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hi everybody, this is your host, Daniel Tuttle. Thank you so much for coming back for another great series. We have another great 2X series with the wonderful Jazz Trice. First of all, super nice guy. Like this guy has just has an infectious personality that just draws you to him. So it's no surprise that he does reality show casting where he has to really, people have to trust him and be open to him. And it, honestly, it was so easy to talk to him. Um, he's so amazing. So we're really excited. Um, you know, it's interesting talking to someone that does reality shows because I watch very few reality shows. Um, but what's funny is I do watch some of the shows that he has worked on, including Intervention. And watching some of those shows where you just see people struggle and you're just hoping the whole time, get help, get help. And, you know, hearing him talk, which you'll hear, he talks about kind of the times when they have to say no to some of these people and how heartbreaking that is. And you don't think about that as a viewer. If you're just separated, you just see what's on TV. And so that's to me was is super crazy. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, I enjoy some of I enjoy the voice. That's another show I listen to. He, he's not a part of, but I've actually worked for the voice. I've done uh, I've helped them with some auditions back in Dallas. I've also helped them here in Los Angeles with some auditions, which was a lot of fun. Um, I remember one time I was uh, uh, walking around. I was helping out. I was part of a team. They're, they're usually separating teams when they're doing the initial auditions. And my team was the kind of whatever is needed team. And I was walking upstairs in the second waiting area because there's two waiting areas before you go see a producer. And they're like, hey, these people have been sitting here a really long time. I've heard you do improv. Can you liven them up? And I, I was like, I don't, what? What, what, are you, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I was like, can you just go in there and just kind of get them going, get them excited, just keep them you know, upbeat and energized because it's been a long day. And so I went up there and just walked around and started talking to them and talking to people about their dreams and what they want to do and what they're singing. And people kept asking me if I was going to audition. And I told them no. And we joked around and we made up songs. And you know, I did keep them up as energized as I could. But it was just interesting talking to all these people who are just hoping for that that moment, like their moment, was was just so interesting to do. Um, now, we do have some really exciting news that we'll mention later on in this episode uh, about jazz. That's an, a little bit of an update since we recorded this interview um, that we're really excited to share. and We're really excited for him. Uh, so definitely stay tuned after the interview for that because I definitely don't want to miss that news. It's, it's awesome. Uh, but right now, in part one, I sit down with reality TV casting producer Jazz Trice uh, from Portsmouth, Virginia, to SoCal, to UC Davis, and finally Los Angeles. We cover this inspiring story of how this award-winning college athlete embraced his love for theater and cre creativity and ran with it. Jazz shares with us his moment of discovery of when he realized that acting wasn't his calling and how he decided to keep on digging into his passion in the entertainment industry and telling stories. Um, we also talk about how he came to the realization of how casting kind of 
utilize all the skills that he had taken from his life. We also do some sketches. Uh, so grab your favorite Starbucks beverage and enjoy our f amazing, amazing, I was going to say favorite, but it's definitely an amazing conversation with Jazz Trice. Thank you, Michael and Daniel. Well, now I would like to introduce you to an up-and-coming casting director who is currently working on such shows as A&E's Intervention, Revenge Body with Khloe Kardashian on E! and Fox's Hell's Kitchen. He is also a writer, having starred in his one-act play, Empty All the Boxes at the Third Eye Theater Festival, and he is a two-time Gatorade Athlete of the Year. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jazz Trice. Hello, thank you for having me. How, how was that? Did you feel Hi, good? That was good. I'm glad that you, I didn't even remember that award. That's really cool. I got it twice too. I can thank my producer, Michael, for that one. Great research. I love it. Uh, now, now has, is that the best introduction you think you've had before? Um, yeah, definitely the top three for sure. I haven't been introduced on a lot of platforms, but that was really cool. Okay. Yeah, well, really good. good. Very we're, stellar. We're doing well, yeah. Michael. We're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, you know, sometimes you got to survey right. and see how you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Jazz. Of course. I'm super excited to chat with you, especially because one of my favorite shows or myself and my wife's favorite shows is Intervention. Yes. And so uh, we're definitely going to talk about that later because I got questions. Yes. Yeah. I have plenty of answers <laughs> you got, want and I've don't want. I've got questions. I want the deets. Okay. Let's just say I want all. the deets. Let's start off real quick. Uh, you were born in uh, Portsmouth, VA? Yes, yes. Uh, that's Virginia for, for all those people. Uh, and how was you know? And you, but you grew up in Southern California, right? Okay. What how what was the ch how long was it between Portsmouth and? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Virginia for fourteen years. So I was born okay. and raised there. Gotcha. Um, and I was in a I grew up in a military household. So my dad got orders to go to San Diego right before high school. Army, Marine, um, Navy, Navy. Okay. Yeah, which all is right. really fun. My um, grandfather was in the Navy. So. Oh, really? Awesome. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, my mom, my dad, my entire family has been in the Navy. Um, brought us to San Diego, and um, it was it was different. Things are a lot slower in Virginia, you know? It's, it's very, very calm. It's a little south, a little rural. Then you get out to Southern California, and it's just like the pace is out of control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you were like, what is happening around me right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a lot I had to get used to. Like, I didn't have any didn't have any friends. Like, I had to meet everybody new for the first time. So it was a... A little bit of a um, an adjustment, but it was it was good. I think yeah. it was a great decision to leave Virginia. Uh, what 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 things did you do when you were a kid in in Virginia? What were some of your favorite things to do? Yeah, I um uh, I had uh, I had a, a a good group of friends, like a small crew. There was like like when we were really little, there were like woods behind our house and just get into trouble. So that type mm. of stuff. Um, uh, but I also you know I had family that lived close to me, so I got to hang out with them fairly often. I did a lot of sports when I was young. Um, and yeah, I've played some musical instruments, played the piano for a little bit. Um, uh, I dabbled it. I, I didn't really hula dance myself, but my sister did. And okay. so they coerced me to do a performance one time. Maybe that's when it all started for me. But, um, <laughs> the love uh, for hula dancing or the love for performing? Love for performing and hula dancing. <laughs> and yeah. hula dancing. Yeah, yeah okay. I started then. Well, uh, what, what, uh, sports did you play? Um, I did baseball for a really long time. And that was like the most boring sport ever. Um, but I, I was forced to do it. I did that for like seven years. Uh, I did basketball and I was really bad at that, which is really unfortunate because I wanted to be good at it. Um, but then I did track and field in middle school um, before I moved to Southern California and that kind of took over my life. Oh, nice. Uh, what positions did you play in those sports that you were terrible at? Yeah. So the, the <laughs> baseball one, uh, I was an outfielder. And That's so, why it was boring. So boring. Outfield, outfield, I was outfielder in, in some of my teams when I played baseball and it was 
I, you literally could just bring a book yeah. and read, cause, yeah. especially when you're younger, because nobody's hitting that far. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sitting and watch. I was like literally sitting down watching the grass grow. was one of those things. Um, uh, basketball. I don't I don't even know the positions of <laughs> basketball. I was the guy with the ball trying to make a basket. I won. Yeah. Actually, I, I did not win. I shot into the wrong um, uh, basket a couple times. And I was so juiced because I thought I did a good job. And it was not a good job at all that, that's the worst feeling when you think you did something right yeah and then everybody's like um like you're like especially if it's like a trivia quiz and mm. you're like you give an answer you're like this is the answer yeah i'm telling you right now this guy played this role in this movie and you're like i nailed it and you're like mm, and everybody's like that is wrong yeah incorrect <laughs> like i shot into the basket turned around and nobody was cheering in the audience so that was uh, and you were like i did great guys what's wrong yeah, so i turned away from that um and then track and field i was a uh, i was a sprinter um uh, and that turned me into a hurdler because i'm so tall so my coach said you're gonna do this and uh that was probably a really fateful day because i ended up doing it for another like, 10 years on a really um uh really competitive level all right so let's so keeping stats you're the second sprinter and hurdler that we've had on the show oh really absolutely oh, wow. we had we uh, interviewed a girl named uh, an actress named ashley and mm-hmm. she all she too was a sprinter and then a hurdler wow that's awesome so. was she a, was she a high hurdler because there's a difference high hurdler and then a short hurdler Ooh. you know i think she was a high hurdler. high hurdler okay yeah. those are those are the good ones and she was from vacaville so it's like legit yeah yeah <laughs> she because because to get out of vacaville you actually have to hurdle yeah yeah and then run away yeah, yeah that's that's why so many people stay because they can't do it <laughs> <laughs> they can't get out so uh so you moved from va uh, now, full family move uh, be- because of your dad, uh, military moving around. Uh, you did you? Where, where was the first place in California you lived? Chula Vista. Okay. Uh, it's really close to the U.S. Mexico border, um, and uh, yeah, we lived with my grandparents for a little bit um, before moving to Temecula. So I was only in Chula Vista for like a year, a brief moment. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then nice. Temecula for the rest of high school. Okay. Now, yeah. what, uh, in what, what did, what was your, what did you do in high school? Who, who were you in high school? Yeah. Well, I, being the person that just moved from across the country, I was trying to find anybody to talk to me and be my friend first and foremost. Um, uh, but I was the guy who, um, uh, I was a guy who was interested in, in so many different things. I did show choir. Um, I was doing track and field. I was doing. Um, Embarrassed to say, I was like president of like the Yu-Gi-Oh card club thing at one point. I know, Yu-Gi-Oh, that was a lot of my life. Um, and then, yeah, ASB, like, um, I was peer advisor. I was in charge of so many. I was, like, the guy that just wanted to do everything. So I had my hands in a lot of different pots. That's great. So you wanted school. to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And kind of get your get your hands dirty in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, what... What would you say you you other than a, a degree? Right. What do you What do you feel like you took from high school that's kind of carried with you? Yeah. Um. I think I've been lucky enough to surround myself because I was doing so many different things. I've always surrounded myself with a lot of different types and kinds of people. So with many different interests. So I got to you know with my with my friends that were in track and field. I got to see you know their lifestyle and then when, with other people that were doing um, ASB and all these other activities. I just got, I feel like I became a well-rounded person and I was able to respect people from all different walks of life because of it. And what do you feel you took away from Yu-Gi-Oh? From Yu-Gi-Oh, I learned that I, because of Yu-Gi-Oh, I wasn't going to, um, uh, I wasn't going to have a lot of uh, friends for a while from doing Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I was going to say dates. <laughs> yeah, that also. Yeah. So there, there were definitely no dates because of that. But um, 
Yeah, that was a fun, like, good two years of Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I'm, hey, you know, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all, Magic, uh, 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 Munchkin, mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've all, we've all been there. Pokemon. Po- I was, mm. nope, never did Pokemon. Pogs. Did Pogs? Really? Uh, do you, I don't, you guys may be too young for the Pogs. No, craze. I remember the Pogs. You remember I Pogs? didn't have any, but I would just like steal yeah, okay. it from my friends. Man, you, we would go to like Michael's with my mom, mm-hmm. and I would get like, she'd give me like two, five bucks, because it was like like ten for one dollar for yeah. a Pog. And so I'd get like a ton, and then Slammers were like a dollar twenty-five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody's listening and knows what we're talking about, please tweet us at LA Hustlecast and tweet me about Pogs. I'm so curious to see who remembers this. Yeah. Uh, or, or Yu-Gi-Oh! Is it is it Yu-Gi-Oh or Oogie-Oh? That one I, I really can't jump into that debate. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, oh, wanna... oh, people are getting red and angry. Let's yeah. <laughs> move on. Someone is screaming at their uh, their radio, going, uh, it, 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 uh, <laughs> um, "So you did track and field. Uh, when yes. did the arts kind of become part of you, your life, or when did you become a part of its life?" Yeah, I always had a uh, sort of a desire to do some sort of performance when I was young. So I would um, learn the dances from music videos and like show my parents. And I would uh, was there one particular video um uh, i was really heavily influenced by Aaliyah and tlc mm. it's like the no scrubs video i like knew all the three different parts at the different times and i like stopped my parents from watching tv to watch me do this dance and they hated it for bonus content can we film you <laughs> doing the no scrubs if, do you remember if it? i knew it i would do it ah. for you there are other dances that i've learned like when i was much older that i probably remember um and we could we could definitely do that <laughs> I have the music on my phone, so nice. I'll just cue it up. Nice. Uh, what was the first, what was your first, other than, I guess, I mean, dancing, obviously, that, what yeah. was your first taste of, like, public arts? Mm-hmm. Um, in middle school, I auditioned for my first play. It was a spin on Cinderella. So at the time, I was uh, doing really well in track and field, and all my track friends said, do not be in a theater um, group. Don't be in a play. Don't do that. It's like, like social suicide, I think, verbatim is what they told me. Um, uh, but I auditioned because I really wanted to do it, and it was cool. And it was the first time that I got to um, be on stage and uh, get that get that rush of performing for people. Um, uh, and it was also the first time that I met people that were very like-minded like me when it comes to, I guess, arts and performing. You know, we have a certain way of viewing the world, so it was really cool to explore that and not feel like it was uh, bad to be doing it, you know? Absolutely. So I'm curious, if you can remember this, this is going to be a tough one, and if you don't, this is just kind of a random off-the-top-of-my-head question. What's the first thing you remember, other than obviously lines and stuff, what's the first thing you remember learning about theater? Oh, the first thing I remember learning was... um, was trying to I had a really hard time of putting myself in the mindset of another character so that was really difficult for me because I thought you just go up and you you know be yourself and sort of uh, be yourself in the guise of this other person but I really was not ready for um, you know taking myself sort of completely out of it and embodying a character so I did not understand what that was at all so all the things that I was doing it really wasn't really acting I was just messing around um, so that was probably the first thing that I learned of like trying to get into that okay no, yeah i can see that it, it's it's interesting when you have to for the first time go not be yourself yeah and and then also i think there's this weird fight of like but i'm me mm-hmm. how do i play this person that's not real and they're like no no you make up that person and you're just, it's just like weird moment of like what yeah like i make up this person like what is and then you start thinking what does that mean mm-hmm. to be a to make a person right and then you start it's almost this weird like their tics and their mannerisms yeah. and you start thinking well 
what if he had a limp? And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, he could have a limp. And you're like, he could? Yeah, he could have a limp. Cool. Yeah. And you're like, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm creating a different human being. Right. And I think that to me, that's always been something interesting, and at least in the acting world of like, if people, especially people that really take it and really make a totally different person, we were just like, I didn't even recognize mm-hmm. that that was that person mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. Uh, so that's something, uh, for, especially for being the first thing you really start learning is is quite huge. Yeah, because I knew. I mean, that was that was all of the work that I had to do as an actor was to just do that. Everything else was sort of taken care of for me, and so that, I saw that as my biggest task, and I took it very seriously, very seriously. I got they got uh, you missed some intro. I did get an award for that play that I was in. Oh well, I apologize. It was something along the lines of like a most improved situation, so nothing <laughs> to like um, be too happy about. But it was it was really cool. So that was like you know this is something that I was really scared of doing, um, something that I didn't think was feasible, but I want to explore it. It was really cool to take myself out of myself absolutely someone else. uh what what was your favorite between junior high and high school uh did you do theater in high school yeah i did one i did okay. one musical in high school so i did um it was like a spin on a uh, christmas story so okay. i got to do like a musical sort of scrooge thing it was very much like synchronized hand movements and standing in a line and cheering to the audience so it was one of those but it was uh that was fun that was my first musical i did so okay. i was like oh this is cool i can do this like in front of other people and not feel weird about dancing and singing around at home in my bedroom in front of my parents or something yeah so uh you went to uc davis after high school Mm -hmm. uh what what kind of drove that choice to go there yeah so money Mm. um i was doing enough said right so i was a track and field athlete as you said and i um i got i was pretty good out the gate when i was in um high school uh as a freshman i started um you know, I was I was winning. I was beating seniors. I realized I was very fast. It was something I was good at. So I was offered a scholarship to UC Davis, um, and I and I took it. It was a great scholarship. It took care of you know my life for a good four years, um, uh, and that was my main reason to go. I knew they were going to become a Division One school, and that was the um, uh, you know that was like the the apex of being an athlete. So I was like, let's go, let's go do this. All right. So so you did. So you uh, did you start doing theater also at the same time, like immediately? Uh, when I got to college, yeah. Um, after I got to college, it took me a couple of years to discover theater. I think it was a, a year or two. Okay, yeah. so you're there. So you just did the, uh, um, athletics and and school for about a year, and then slowly found your way into theater. What what drew you to the the UC Davis theater? Yeah. Um, what was it? I think I. I went into college wanting to study psychology and wanting to study medicine and science. It was something that was always really interesting to me. But mm-hmm. after the first couple of quarters, I was like, this is not, it might not exactly be what I want to do. I want to explore it, but I think there's more. I really like performing. So I auditioned for a musical. Can't get away from musicals. And um, from there, I uh, sort of like got embedded into the theater and dance department. Do you remember what musical show. it was? Yes. So You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown was the uh, first uh, college musical I did. Great show. Really good show. Um, and it was done by Studio 301, which was uh, was really interesting because I wasn't affiliated with them yet, but mm-hmm. I became uh, very much a part of that group now, later was on. That, was that an independent thing away from the, the school stuff? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we had our theater and dance department, mm-hmm. and then uh, we had um, Studio 301, just completely student-run, student-funded. So mm-hmm. we did all of our own fundraising and stuff, and we put up, at that time, like two shows a year. Okay. Yeah. We had the same thing at my college, at UNT. We had a, 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 like a players-type thing where... Yeah. They would. It was student run. They would pick their plays. Usually, more out of the box 
type shows, not the usual mainstream crowd pleasers. Um, I remember doing a show called uh, Dreamer Examines His Pillow, mm. and I played Dad. That was my character, Dad. Um, I had a beard at the time. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. And uh, we performed in the garage of a coffee shop that somebody, uh, some actors from UNT had bought a house and turned it into a coffee shop mm-hmm. and wanted to do plays. They did poetry readings there. They did music there. And they basically could clean out their garage and have shows there. And when we did it, like the week we opened, uh, it decided to have a rare snow in uh, in, da- in Dallas or Denton. And one of the things I remember so vividly is there's a scene where I'm just in boxers, uh, an undershirt, and a robe. And there's no backstage. Right. So when I'm entering, I'm entering from outside. So if I'm waiting to enter, I'm standing outside and I'm barefoot in snow freezing my butt off holding I think I was holding like a bear or something I was holding something I look ridiculous yeah. and there's a road like right beside me so people are driving and you can just tell people slow down just a little bit like, what, like is what is what is wrong with this guy <laughs> it is freezing out here yeah so I understand that that kind of group sorry I went yeah. on a little diver tribe there but uh so what was your did you stay an athlete while you did theater yes yes I did so there okay. is a uh, there was this year of my life or two years of my life where I was I was spread sp- completely thin. I was doing way too much. So I was an athlete and I was in like 25 units and I was doing theater. So I would like wake up and go to class for four hours, go to practice for four hours, go to three or four more hours of class and then like five hours of rehearsal. I think I just said more hours than there are in a day actually. <laughs> I didn't do any math when I was in college. But um, so you could just, I was, I was very, very busy. So I was straddling, like I was learning my lines and learning the, my parts of the song while I was on the plane to track and field meets. And then I would come back and then perform. So it was uh, it was a lot. It was a lot of jet setting. Around. I'm sure. I'm sure. And this is when your mom goes, "Why are you so tired all the time?" Oh my god. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't <laughs> tired. I don't know what it was. I wasn't taking anything to help me out either. Right. It was just you're... you know, every minute of my day was booked. Well, especially I mean, you're doing athletics and you're doing theater, both very energetic. Right. Ver- both you know, obviously theater people have their own kind of energy and personalities, but yeah. they're usually upbeat high energy athletes you have to get pumped up you have to have a passion for yeah. what you're doing i'm guessing that passion for both probably carried you yeah through you yeah. know what i'm saying what what was your uh, how did you balance it all what was your kind of steps to make sure that one you didn't lose your mind and right. two you kept on top of everything i uh, you know i just had to i had to look at myself and say if you really want to do all these different things you're gonna have to do a good enough job in them so how are you gonna make this happen so i uh, I mean, I was, I'm going to be real. I'm sure a lot of us did this. You know, we took a lot of classes that we had to be paying attention to and a lot that we didn't have to be paying attention to. So I realized where those were and I carved out extra hours where I could do other things for myself where there was no hour in the morning or in the night. And, uh, got by and got A's so that was I was really proud of uh, making that happen yeah um, but it was it was very challenging and it led to a lot of tension actually after two years um, my I started accumulating a lot of injuries from running track and field I was hurling a lot um, running running very fast um, and then uh, I realized that I wasn't running as fast as I was the year prior um, I was in a musical at the time and my track and field coaches wanted me to not go to uh the rehearsal because they wanted to have me compete and I knew I was hurt. So I was like, you guys are sort of, uh, you know, 
not thinking about my health and my body right now. And it's like, I want to be able to do multiple things. And they're like, well, if you don't show up for this track meet, then you're done. And so then I did not show up for the track meet and then I was done. And it was a, it was a really, it was a really tough decision. And it wasn't like something that I ever took lightly. Cause I knew I was, just, I was just like singing and dancing outside. So I'm giving up, you know, this scholarship that I was given to do something that, you know, it was, it was a lot. It was right. like high school musical, but college and a lot less um, fun. I find, you know, it's funny hearing that. I find in a lot of, there's some people that can do it, but I find that that's a, a very similar story with a lot of people that do two different things when it comes to, like they do theater and something else, like a track or choir or band or orchestra or any kind of extracurricular like that. There always seems to be that moment where they have to decide which one they're yeah. going to do. I had the I had the same, but mine my, my decision had to come in high school. Mm-hmm. I was kind of forced in high school to decide. Oh wow! But uh, I think everybody has that moment where they're like, "Well, I guess if I have to decide," mm-hmm. and usually they pick theater. It's very rare that I've yeah. heard. They don't, <laughs> I was like, very, they don't pick it. It was a it was a really easy choice to pick theater, yeah. and I was like, I was I was very good at track and field. Mm-hmm. I was I saw where my times were. They were you know very very high nationally. I'd already achieved a lot, and I think if I hadn't achieved so much before that decision, I probably would have wanted to go another year. But I was like, mm-hmm. you know, everything that I think I wanted to do in track, I I did. Um, before we move on from track, I just want to ask yeah. one question: What did you take from doing track and and sports that? Uh, a person, uh, as a person or um, as a, a performer in, in the sense of track and field, what did you take away that you maybe helped you in the theater realm or, or, or even where you are now? What do, what do you think is kind of taken, your takeaway from that? Yeah, teamwork, 100%. I, I feel like that's very, if it's cliche, whatever, it's very true. You know, the team mentality is something that I try to bring into Everything I do. When you're in a show, you know you might be giving a monologue right now, but you all are in this together. That's some, that's like the second High School Musical reference I did. Um, and uh, all my jobs, I do the same thing. Uh, it's very cutthroat in this industry, as we know, and so many people are looking out for themselves. And I feel like do that as you should. But if we're on this show together for four weeks, let's band together as a team, help each other out, and make it happen. You're only as good as your weakest player. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. Sure. I think I think the people that are, are the best people, especially here in LA, are the ones that can split that that mentality of, yeah, I need to look out for myself and make sure I'm making the right choices for me as a creator and as an artist, but at the same time, not throw anybody under the bus and yeah. completely go, well, deuces, thanks for helping me out, but I'm out, bro. Like right. you know what I mean? That's yeah. what people say. That's how people talk, right? Yes, <laughs> they like do. That. I think so. <laughs> okay. And so many people are willing to do that. I feel mm-hmm. like we've been on shows where people have, you know, essentially screwed you over for mm-hmm. their own benefits. So. Yeah. And that's always fun. It is fun. It's, it, feels, yeah. it leaves a good taste in your mm-hmm. mouth when that happens. Uh, so talk to me about number five, Angry Red Drum. That's right. It's a play called Number Five, Angry Red Drum yes. by Mr. Philip Can Gotanda. Yes, this was a uh, very interesting uh, show for me to be in. Can you kind of give a rundown of the show real quick, what that's what it's about? Yes, this is actually really funny. It's interesting because it was a very, um, it was the first sort of avant-garde piece that I was in. So everything I did for it was like musicals, very straightforward, you get it. This one, there was a lot more to extrapolate from it. So it had to deal, it was like, had to deal with commentary on dystopian society. Um, it had a lot to do with like mental illness, the effects of war. My character in particular had a lot to do with um, PTSD. Um, and I think a lot of it is um, uh, a lot of it is up for your interpretation, actors included. 
Um, and yes, so that was a challenge because it was like, like I had no idea how to unpack what I was given. And so I really had to stretch. It was sort of like my, my middle school first play. You know, how do I take myself out of who I am and embody this character? And I had the most challenge doing it with the character in that um, backward soldier. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool because the screen, I'm sorry, the writing was very, very different than anything I'd encountered before. Um, everything about it was completely different than the theater that I grew up um, doing. So that was a big challenge. But it was it was really good because I got to um, see the different sides of theater and performing. You know, it's not just um, some sort of, I guess, commercial avenue, if that's the way to right. describe it. No, yeah. absolutely. But the, like, the, yeah, oh. the love interest, I yes. can't think of his name. In the in the movie, his character name. Do you remember Some, his character name? Something Samuels. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he hosted. Aaron Samuels. I went. I I worked a like tenth anniversary screening or something, uh, like a theater in, or movie in the park. Yeah. And he was a special guest they had, and so I got to talk to him afterwards. And he was also an episode of Smallville, which is one of my favorite shows. Oh, so cool. I got to talk to him about that, which was really cool. Yeah. So this is this episode's about me. Uh, so let's <laughs> talk more about me. Um, so what was it like working in the more, I guess, behind the scenes, pol- somewhat political? type arena compared to like just being able to go and do a show audition have some fun go home yeah i liked the creative control you know Mm -hmm. as an actor you're in charge of a lot less you know than you are as a a director so uh, i loved all the coordinating i loved having conversations with all the different people in charge of the different departments and making sure that all of our visions aligned that was that was that was so cool um Having a really good co-director was also great because then we could like um, tag team and he would go help give acting advice so I can go deal with some business and then vice versa. So we were a really good team when it came to that. Um, uh, And yeah, control. I'm learning I'm a control freak. So being able to have like the vision that I have in my mind and having it trickle down to, you know, the the outfits that everybody was wearing to the way that they, the way that their hair looked. Um, uh, it was really, really cool. Now, I love that. Usually when there's a, a group mentality, yeah. um, everybody's in there for some reason because there's something about them that adds to the group. Uh, usually, you know, one person is the more uh, OCD-ish type, so he notices all the details. One person's the kind of funny, outgoing, so he relaxes everybody. What do you feel you and what role do you feel you ended up playing in that group? Yeah, um, in that group and in most groups, I'm I'm not a big like astrology person, but I am a Gemini, and so the very two distinct sort of types to myself. I don't like to say personalities. It's not a um, cry for help, but I... Uh, Let's go am... back to that psychology degree <laughs> you were going for. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm very, very, very fun and energetic and keeping the mood really light and making sure everyone's having a great time. Um, and I want to be everybody's friend so that everyone feels comfortable in what they're doing, right? So I'm really good at that. And then on the other side, I am really good at, you know, putting emotions aside and realizing that there is a, um, a task that needs to be done. I say F your feelings sometimes. Like, I really don't have time to do with this because there are so many other things that are important right now. And us as actors, we're kind of we're a little needy emotionally. So that was really cool. What? To, uh, what, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> just a little bit. Um, uh, so that was really cool to be like, I can't be your friend right now, but I have to do this. So it's a little, the shift is mm. interesting because people are like, you were so nice before, but now you're just being sort of a dictator. That, I, I got to get stuff done. That's, it's such an interesting thing, especially when you're... Um, having to be in charge of your peers Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways where Mm -hmm. you're kind of put in that position. It does get difficult when it is business time, right? When it's time to to stop playing around and do the business, 
it's almost like you have to really have a conversation beforehand. Like, hey, I know we're friends, but when it's time to go and it's time to work, I want you to know that's the role I'm playing and that's the role I'm going to be in. And right. you need to understand that. And if you can't, then I'd rather you leave than our friendship or our relationship have issues. Right. You know, and I think that's it's so it's such a difficult thing. And some people just cannot find that. Uh, compatibility mm-hmm. to work both sides and it's and it's always fascinating when I get to work with friends or I see people working with friends and you kind of see the behind the scenes yeah how the toll it takes on their their relationships did you have any issues with that I had no issues at all and the reason why is because I had really good friends that I was working with you know I think everybody in that cast or in that crew were people that I've done multiple shows within the past so they knew that we took this seriously and there was the respect there there was some difficulty with people that i hadn't worked with before that were just like <laughs> you know and just like it was just know me from you know the theater and not think i was very serious about what i was doing at the time mm-hmm. and so that was a little challenging but um we i mean i cast i cast people in the show that i knew would be listening to me <laughs> and you know um uh, that i would also go show respect to i can well. control that person yes yeah now, uh, so now you started uh, when did you start writing oh i um uh, i've always sort of done some writing but i didn't get serious actually until number five angry red drum that was the uh first time that i put like a real body of work together now are you philip can Gatana? No, my, my dad's <laughs> name is Philip, but not, not this gentleman. Um, so Philip Gatanda actually was teaching a screenwriting class as well at the time oh, when nice. I was in his show. So I sort of learned from him on, you know, creating a screenplay. Um, and the one play that I wrote was um, Empty All the Boxes that came out later. So that was the first time that I really um, put together some like sort of fiction. Can you, uh, what, what was the process like where did the spark for that show the inspiration come from and kind of what was your process with that yeah so this show is very important to me very personal to me i um uh, the story is about a a guy who ends up or a young boy that sees an apparition of his grandfather that just passed away and it sort of forces him to grow up really quickly and realize you know to stop being a little brat um uh you know you become a man become an adult so i was sort of going through some stuff at that time my grandfather passed away so it was very therapeutic for me to get all this stuff out onto the page that i was keeping in my mind um and uh yeah that was a lot of the inspiration for it the, the, i got to play the character that was sort of inspired by me which was fun i very much recommend everybody write a character about yourself at some point or inspired by you like it's i have the hardest time really i it is is almost impossible for me to write a character for me yeah like i'll write characters maybe inspired by part of me right that have a little bit of me in them but i i am the worst about writing like sitting down and going okay Let's write a show for myself. Yeah. Like, I, I can't do it. Why is that? Why, why do you I, think so? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's a confidence thing, like a subconscious confidence thing, mm-hmm. but it's really weird. It's a really interesting, it's just, I've always, I'm always in my head against it. Right. And I'm always like, no, no, there's some, I see it like this instead of this. And it's always like, that's my goal every year is like, okay, you're going to write something for yourself this yes. year and you're going to kill it. And it's gonna be awesome, and never. I'm still working on it, though. I'm yeah, still working yeah. on it. You know, I, just, I think I gotta figure out who I am. You know what? I'm gonna go on a journey. Uh, I'll see you guys later. I'm gonna go yeah. on a walkabout. And then writing it, you'll you end up figuring out who you are. Absolutely. You know, I, I grew up as I as my character grew up. I kind of did as well, and so it was really cool. There was a, it was like me, and my immediate, my immediate family. So the 
actress that played my sister reminded me of my sister mm-hmm. and it was uh it was really fun it was very emotional too there was a lot of stuff that i unloaded or emptied hence the mm-hmm. title of the, like relationships with the people that are close to me and so like my family came and watched it and that was really fun <laughs> very fun um but ended up being really good you know i have uh, that play is really important to me so i have it framed and put in my apartment how long did it take you to write it poster um I wrote that I think in uh, two months time. Mm. Two months time was like the the bulk of the writing, and then all the trimming it down and editing was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And then I submitted it to the theater festival, and then there were a lot more edits that came for my play, and I was really upset about that. And that was the Third Eye Theater Festival. Yes, the correct? Third Eye Theater Festival. Now, did you direct the show? I did not. Okay. No, uh, Michael was one of the was the co director. Yeah. For the show. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And so um, uh, it was great having, you know, a friend in my, again, placing friends where I need them to be so we can make this thing really great. How bad of a job did Michael do? Horrible. <laughs> there were plans for, we had plans for a sequel and then it got canceled because, you know. It's, uh, he's just. Trust me. I know. Michael, can you job. just walk, leave the room for a second? Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah okay, cool. Yeah, we're just going to uh, talk about. Uh, we're okay. not talking about anything bad or anything. Okay. See you guys later. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> he's the worst. Terrible. Horrible. I mean, guys, if. I literally, oh, he's the worst. He'll leave soon. No, Michael was. uh, Maybe if we talk enough about him, he will leave. (laughs) Michael was very instrumental in that uh, play being a success. I think there were, uh, I had a clear vision of what I wanted and the director had a different vision in some ways. And so Michael, as my friend, sort of helped he was like the liaison between my mind and where the play was going to go. I'm going to bring Michael on real quick, uh, just to talk about this because I'm, I'm I'm fascinated. I'm always fascinated when friends work together. My uh, we uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast. Michael and I recently just worked in a more uh, professional uh, director actor uh, relationship and position. Um, so f- let's let me ask you first, Jazz. What how did it work between you, Michael, and the other director? What was how did y'all communicate with each other? Right. Um, You know, for the most part, I think Michael and the director had a lot of the communication. And I, being nosy, would always watch. And so something else I developed by doing a lot of things, picking up on other people's social cues. So I knew when stuff was going my way, when stuff was going Michael's way, when stuff was going the other director's way. And so then I... uh, again being nosy would just talk to him and we were honest and try to get on the same page about where the stuff was going and the director as well it wasn't just you and me we all yeah. had a really good like symbiotic relationship so, making that so michael you're, you're you're directing a friend of yours or at least a, a peer's work that he's written put his blood sweat and tears how much um how much pressure did you put on yourself to i mean i know you had someone helping you and as a co-director but how much pressure did you put on to get it right well, it was a lot of pressure because something. Well, I was also in Number Five, Angry Red Drum, and Jazz. Did was, you play the little girl? <laughs> I was not the little girl. I was actually <laughs> Truman, the true man of the show, and actually Jazz was my only real contact yeah. in that show. And he was really my first friend in college. I came in, I auditioned for the show, I got in, and I, it was one of those things where sometimes people say like, "Don't commit to anything." Your first quarter of college just you know, experience college, but not for me. Like, so immediately I was involved with this show with jazz. And so now I'm in this position where I'm directing one of my first friends in college. And it's something that he wrote, which, you know, I always wonder as like, if I wrote something, if I could be in it as well. And so I, I was always like, want to make sure walking that line of like jazz, I'm talking to you as the actor 
now talking to you as the playwright and ensuring that his vision as the playwright, you know, gets accomplished. But I'm also not the director. And so is kind of making sure that at the end of the day, the, the story that you wrote is being told. Yeah. Um, and making sure with the other director that she understood that and, you know, that we're also telling the story that she wanted to focus on. But my role, I think, and it was more so the acting side of things. Like I, I helped lead you guys in exercises because it was a ghost play, which was one of the things I was really drawn about the show is you get to see the ghost of this uh, grandfather. I, I wanted to play with that idea. And I remember we went in, oh gosh, what was that? The big room at the, in the theater department. Yeah. Uh, like it, lab it, A or lab, lab B. A. Yeah, I think it was lab A. Mm-hmm. And I just remember turning off the lights and yeah. you, everyone was just kind of, I had everyone close their eyes and we were running lines and stuff, but then allowing the actor who played the ghost to kind of like move around you and feel that sense of mm-hmm. another presence being by you. Uneasiness. An uneasiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that this show was a thriller by any means, but just to give the actors that sense of there, there's another presence that normally doesn't sit with you. Yeah. Now, Jazz, did you was your role a lead role or were you more of a small role? Oh, I wrote it for myself. I was the lead. <laughs> okay. Of course he was the uh, lead. I had to be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> just asking questions, folks. Um, so, what, so obviously you spent a lot of time with Jazz during it. Well, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you guys have, I mean, you can be honest, did y'all have any moments of discord? I don't think so. I think, honestly, it was just more so, and again, it's talking with playwright Jazz and the director, because I think she had different ideas uh, that she was bringing Mm -hmm. to the table, and that wasn't initially a part of your vision. And so, as you were kind of saying earlier, I was that bridge, right? right, Of trying to smooth things over and seeing, like, at the end of the day, what's most important to tell this story. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even, you know, like, smoothing things over. It's just... we. like everybody approached it with their own specific vision and so yeah sort of like liaising and making it one vision and it was also interesting because this was my first time since high school directing like or being in a directorial position but Mm -hmm. let alone in a festival where we were also responding uh to the fest you know the people running it yeah and they were giving the director's notes that we then had to pass on down Mm -hmm. and so and because you were in the show, there were times where they're like, now you have to give Jazz maybe this note as a playwright, but then now hear acting notes. And it was just an interesting process of like, what do we take? What do we leave? And Yeah. I think people got scared of giving me playwright notes by the end because I kept getting pissed at my line just being ripped out of the play. I was like, no, this has to be here. It's hilarious. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be. I was like, if you take another one of my lines, I'm going to be pissed. Um, yeah. But but at the end of the day, though, I think the story that was told was the story that needed to right. be told yeah. in a way. And that there's that part of you. And I, I remember just seeing it of just like, be, even though it's a line that was lost, it furthered the story mm-hmm. a little bit. And it allowed you to focus on other elements. Right. And that was always a question I had for you of was there were you ever able to let go of being the playwright and then just allowing yourself to be the actor present on stage and not thinking or anticipating moments to come. Yeah, I, I definitely had to. I had to when I finally got on stage. When I was the, I mean, working as a playwright, it was such a good lesson to sort of get to get to the point, you know, of, you know, they say, kill the baby, you know, get rid of your favorite thing in the play. Um, but yeah, the, the actor hat had to be on and then like screenplay 
whatever hat had to be completely done because we like the show's up right now so i couldn't even think about it anymore um but getting to that point was really challenging and difficult in the beginning thank you michael you're so welcome yes <laughs> um so one more i'll be back <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll talk. Um, so, so I have one more question before we move on, because yes. um, you, you you brought up an interesting point and something I've I've, I've dealt with also, of as a writer having your lines ripped away or changed, and it goes back to you know don't you know, kill your darlings that mm-hmm. kind of motto or you know don't fall in love with what you write. Um, what did you are you better now? about that because of that experience of having that initial band-aid ripped off of, of like it's not going to be what you initially thought it was going to be yes absolutely i was i was taking it too personally in the beginning you know and then i did a little bit more writing in the years to came and i had to have a focus if i spent all my time on wanting something to be in the play then we're not going to get to the heart of what the play is um and so then the rest of my writing ever since then was just trim the fat get to the good stuff as long as the main story is there then it's fine if you're putting a joke in for a joke's sake then it probably shouldn't be in there in the first place and then then later on you stepped in kind of a director a few director roles with uh uh, i believe the who uh the who's tommy yes Uh, with the who you you directed their concerts for a while yes Uh, i did yeah they're a 2016 tour uh and you also uh uh, directed uh helped direct rumors uh which you forgot about yeah, and, and we have reminded you. <laughs> I know. Oh, we'll cut that. That's what we're out. here for—to remind you of things you forgot you did. Um, so uh, let's just as an overall experience for both of those. Um, yeah. How did they differ? Because I mean, one's the Who's Tommy. Yeah. And one, which is a musical and cr- really out there in some ways, and the other is Rumors, which is a again a Neil Simon comedy, which is not your usual type of comedy in a lot of ways because right. Neil Simon has his own style. What what how how did you approach each differently and what did you take away from each of them? Yeah, I do have to correct you though. It wasn't the oh. Tommy that I directed. It was it was okay. It was I did work with this person that directed oh. this, but I did Oklahoma. Um, um, I was in Tommy. So our producer Michael made the outline for this discussion. I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> um, we'll have a talk afterwards. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's it, okay. It I didn't. I didn't it remember. So Oklahoma. Directed. So Oklahoma also kind of out there. Very uh, out there. The state and the musical. Um, <laughs> so again, well, even then, you know, Oklahoma is that old school, classical, uh, good guy, bad guy, oh, everybody's happy and we're singing, you know, that, that kind of musical. And then you have, again, rumors, again, a, a Neil Simon comedy, its own thing. So even then, what did you take away from each one? What, it, what did you feel you gave to each show and, and how did you kind of get involved in each one? Yes, I, I gave... Answer all of that. I will. <laughs> I will all of them. Um, I gave a lot of myself to, or more of myself, I would say, to Rumors. That was, that was like my baby that I was working on. So um, uh, I had all the creative control when it came to that show. Everything was sort of chosen by me and my co-producer. Um, and it was on a small scale. It was in a small black box theater, so we had no money, you know, no resources. So it was all sort of guerrilla theater is what we say like Studio 301 was. But for Oklahoma, it was directed by Mindy Cooper, who um, has been on Broadway. And the scale of that musical was like a Broadway musical. I think the theater that it was in housed like 1,500 people, 1,600? The Mondavi Center. The Mondavi Center, yeah. They housed 1,600 people. Um, uh, and so that was, the scale of that was was crazy there were so many more different departments and i was involved with helping with choreography and sort of being like a dance captain a little bit um uh, 
yeah, I was at vocal rehearsals. I was doing everything. I was pretty much the assistant to the director. So whatever she needed, I would do it. So it was happening on a much larger scale and a much faster pace. Um, and it was like it was like a Broadway show, honestly, by how well it was executed and the, just the caliber of talent involved, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you feel one was... Uh, uh, did you have ish- more issues on one than the other, or was it pretty... Were both pretty smooth? Um, I had more issues on rumors, just because, you know, doing Oklahoma, if you wanted to change someone's costume or, like, fly in a different set piece done there's so much money behind this we can do it for us i wanted a carpet that matched the painting that we had on you know a wall in the corner no we can't afford that or that doesn't exist so you have to go like find one or make one so those sort of challenges were just like i had to think outside of my box and find really creative ways to make things work whereas oklahoma you know you want to change an entire number we can do it we'll change the whole lighting scheme it's fine we have no choice but to do it we also have the resources yeah. <laughs> i'm sure the lighting designer was like i'm sure the lighting board operator was like yeah it's no problem yeah, yeah <laughs> very easy we, we just open tomorrow yeah, it's cool yeah. it's no big deal did you as a director what did you find i guess from yourself doing that like what did you take away as a person uh, from that, like, you know, you took, you said with athletics, you took away teamwork. What did you take away from the directing you did? Yeah. So I, with directing, I sort of expanded on my desire to be a jack of all trades and to know as much as I can about every department. So doing that, I got to learn, I got to learn everything. So that's what I took the most from it was just wanting to know all the moving parts. I was not comfortable with being involved with just one thing when it came to anything I did. You know, I wanted to know why we were choosing to have, you know, the lights this way and why we couldn't do it, you know, besides just saying, make it happen. Um, So yes, accumulating as many skills has always been my sort of uh, like life motto. So that was what I really appreciate. (laughs) Learn what you can as much as you can because then you become more valuable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So when did you decide, so you you went through college, I'm assuming you graduated at some point. Yeah. Um, When did you decide to move to LA? I decided to move to LA before I went to college. (laughs) It was was something I always knew I wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do in LA, but something about the city always attracted me. So I would come visit, I would come visit and I knew it's where I had to be. So I, I like to say I coerced all my college friends into moving to LA with me. They probably had their own visions to go, but I feel like I was just the, I was the pusher to. You were the, the leader of that. Yeah, motorcade. I was like, LA, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. Um, and so I knew it was gonna happen. And mm-hmm. I knew I was gonna go there and I went there like less than a year after I graduated. When did, uh, so, uh, so a year after, so less than a year after you graduated, mm-hmm. how did you prepare? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, uh, I graduated in 2011 and the rest of my friends. I really like that you kind of looked at Michael for confirmation for, uh, sure of the yeah. year. Same graduation <laughs> they, yes. I, I graduated in 2011, 12, yeah. oh, 13, 14, <laughs> Yeah. So we all graduated at the same time, but I was, I was in my fifth year. So they still had some more time in school or they were going to tidy up loose ends before they left so then i moved to san diego and i worked two jobs three jobs for like seven months and saved all the money that i could while living with my grandparents and then Mm -hmm. bought a car Mm -hmm. scouted an apartment to move to in la and Mm -hmm. then spent all your savings on that apartment all of my money (laughs) i i the yeah the apartment i spent a lot of money on that my bed was way too expensive i can't believe i did that that was a horrible purchase um uh, and i bought a lot of i did a lot of shopping and eating out <laughs> so that's where all my money went so uh so you so you did a little prep 
before you leave, saving money, things like that. What was your mindset moving here? Was it I'm gonna be famous? Was it I'm gonna be a I'm gonna get into the gates that no one gets into, and or was it I'm gonna do what I can and I'm gonna give myself this time and learn who I am and how I can make it? Or you know, what was what was your thought process with that? Yeah, I wanted to just hit the ground running. I had no clear direction of what I wanted to do. I really enjoyed writing. I really wanted to continue doing that. I really wanted to pursue acting. Those were the things that were at the forefront of my mind. So I continued to do some writing as an advice columnist for my um, school newspaper. I was writing for a, a blog at the time, just doing fun listicles. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's what I was doing. First, I was trying to find some sort of supplemental income. Right. Um, and then, yeah. That was what I was trying to do. So it was like, I was like, I'm going after something. I didn't want to be famous. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, the chasing fame is not for me. Um, And I learned that when I went on an audition when I moved to L.A. Oh, please do tell. Yeah. So my my very first audition, it was for another musical. I can't get away from them. It was um, Little Shop of Horrors. Mm -hmm. And I was really dead set on playing. Oh, I can't remember the name of the plant. What's his name? Audrey. Aubrey. Uh, Audrey? It's Audrey. I think it's Audrey. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a male plant, but it was a... It's, it's the Audrey. It's the Audrey, too. Yeah. Yes. Because Audrey's the girl. the girl. Yeah. Yes. So I really wanted to play that character, and I was so excited to have my song prepared, and I walk in, and everyone was just gorgeous and beautiful, and then I get into the room. I'm so excited, and the man that is auditing me has the exact same voice of the character I was auditioning for. Like, I I could have sworn that he was from the cast recording. So I was like, "What? Why am I here auditioning for this?" Because he gave me really interesting critiques on my performance. And I was like, "Dude, this is your, this is your part, right? Is this just for fun to have me in here?" It was all the stuff I was thinking about, and I was like, "I don't know. It, it something about it just didn't it didn't sit well with me whatsoever." And I knew as soon as I left that room that I did not want to pursue this. Really? What, yeah. What? What do you feel? Do you know what it was that kind of pushed that? Yes. I, uh, I guess I'm a very, very anxious person. So I used to not have stage fright for most of my life. Um, and then something, something shifted, you know, towards the end of college. And I realized that putting myself out there in this way made me feel very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and also, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a control freak. Something about auditioning, and this is not you know a knock to actors, but for me, auditioning for a part, knowing that I could do it based on my talent, based on my look, but you know other factors that have nothing to do with my talent would prevent me from getting this part. You know, I'm too too tall or too too ethnic or too this or too that, which is what you know I've been told, and that's a part of the job of auditioning as an actor. So I knew that would come with that, mm-hmm. and it was something that I personally could not deal with that stress level I right mean, like i had to man up to it and say that's not for me absolutely yeah. uh now when you moved here what was your first impressions in comparison to like you know uh, uh no, no cal and and san diego kind of what how what did you find was different and or the same or you know what scared you what didn't scare you yeah i feel like la when you first get here it has this like little golden glow to it everything's kind of shiny and really exciting um and then you know eventually that like that veneer starts to go away um the pace was crazy i 
felt like I was moving a mile a minute all the time and I had no deadline. So I had no idea what, where this came from. So the energy was something new for me. Um, and I felt like everybody, which is true, everybody is trying to, to make it and be something here. And so I felt like, uh, you know, I guess on an interpersonal level, there is a little bit of tunnel vision and people are very much in their lane. And I thought this was, you know, I was naive. I thought this was a really fun, friendly, happy place. You know, it's sunny all the time. Of course, everyone's going to be nice. And that's not the case. No, at not all. at all. I haven't met one nice person. Oh, you guys are nice. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you guys um, are good. <laughs> so, so what did you do to kind of occupy, occupy yourself uh, during that time that you first moved here and were trying to you know, do your things? Yeah. So I, um, again, I, wanting to do so many different types of, you know, things in theater and, you know, stuff in high school, I wanted to have a lot of different jobs. So I worked at a restaurant. I was, again, writing for a blog and doing something else. And um, uh, I was just trying to keep busy. I was learning learning about the city, discovering it. Um, Michael and I actually lived together for the first year and a half of being in L.A. How was that? And that be one, honest. Yes. Um, uh, I, I can't speak for Michael, but for me, the challenge I had going into it was, you know, sharing a one bedroom apartment. I've like, I'm such a rat. I never shared anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of those little kids. So that was the difficult thing for me, but it, it, it ended up working. You know, we both were in the same boat. Um, we had similar ideas of where we wanted to go with, uh, you know, our careers, what we wanted to do. And it was a good support system. So all the other you know, bull crap. We were there for each other for. There was a lot of hard. There were a lot of hardships when you moved to LA, and so having someone with you, I don't. I don't think I could have did it if I was here by myself for six months. I would have left. Michael moved is moving awkwardly closer to me <laughs> in a rolling chair. So I guess he wants to say something. Well, no. <laughs> I, I would definitely say I don't think I would have survived moving to Los Angeles had it not been living with Jazz. For the like, because it was just you and I for the first six months mm-hmm. before our other friends uh, came down. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming down here. I'd never really, I'd come down to Los Angeles a few times, but when I finally moved down and joined you, you know, had some personal things that were going through my life that really made me feel all of a sudden like, wow, I feel really alone right now. And Jazz was mm-hmm. the only person that I knew in this town, and. I can be someone that it's hard for me to go out and experience new things and explore a new place. I can sometimes just stay cramped in my room, but Jazz was the person of like, no, let's go out. Let's go to LA. Mm -hmm. Granted, we had saved up some money, so we were able to go out and enjoy the town a little bit. And I feel like you have to give yourself time to just fall in love with this town. Mm -hmm. You know, like whether it's going to restaurants or, you know, going to bars or something like that. Like you have to give yourself that freedom to just go out and explore. And I wouldn't have done that had it not been for you. Yeah. I mean, I, for the first six months I was li- living on like a air mattress and stuff. you were sleeping on an air mattress for six months. Yeah. You know, you, you had a much better situation than I did. Yeah. And living the dream, living the dream. Part. But I mean, yeah. just getting involved with the city mm-hmm. and you know, you were also the one that was always, uh, pushing me like hey what are you doing about your career hey what are you Mm -hmm. doing about headshots or submitting and stuff like that and you were i could almost tell that you were an athlete because you were just so much like what's your drive yeah and yeah it it was just it was the best experience because had i been here by myself i could see why someone can move here 
with a, a dream in their mind and yeah. then they come here and it's not exactly it mm-hmm. and they turn around and go. Yeah. But by having jazz with me, I was able to be, you know, I was, I was more, com- not to say comfortable, but just confident that I could yeah. actually stay down here and that I was going through this really nerve wracking experience with someone else. Yeah. And moving to LA or anywhere after college is difficult because you have just, you've just, you know, you just graduated. Your ego is crazy. You feel like you're on top of the world. You can take, you, you know, you can do anything. And then you move to LA and so many people are telling you, you can't do anything. You have to, you know, having that support system is so necessary um, for competition against ourselves and each other yeah. and just staying focused and yeah, and having fun and just not putting like pressure on it. Well, and I also remember, cause I come from a theater background and I remember going to LA. I only wanted to do film. I did not want to do television. And then you were the first person, Jazz, to kind of put on Modern Family or Once Upon a Time. And you were the person of like, well, hold on. Television's actually going places right now. And I mean, that's something that we'll get into later. Yeah, but I called it. I called it. You, you called it. Solely, Jazz called it. Jazz ushered in the golden age of television. You're I don't welcome. know if you guys know this. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thanks for that insight. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so you... you Acting was a bust. I don't mean to say that like rudely or no, anything. No, you're fine. It was a bust um, for me. What? So what did you? What was the next direction for you? Yeah. So the next direction for me, I was. Uh, I knew I wanted to stay involved in television. I knew that me not wanting to pursue acting was not the end of my entertainment career. So, but I didn't know exactly how I would um, fit in. Um, so I I started writing. I wrote some spec scripts. I went on some interviews to be a writer's assistant for a couple of shows. None of them ever panned out. Um, uh, what specs, uh, man? What shows did you write? Specs. Um, Parks and Recreation and New Girl. What? So, c- can you just kind of give us a rundown of the Parks and Rec script? What the what the synopsis was? Um, uh, the Parks and Rec script. It had to. It was a. It was an Andy and um, uh, not April Leslie focused. Oh, of course. Um, a situation. It was a riff off of the the Halloween episode with Pachitis and the mm. Peach Pit. Um, uh, not going to go too much into what it was, but it was like, it was like a Halloween sequel oh, gotcha. sort of situation. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the new girl one, oh God, I wrote that so long ago. That one was, uh, I think Schmidt started dating. I think Schmidt started dating Jess or they went on a little like faux date mm. in my episode. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Oh, they were horrible. <laughs> Thinking about it now, it was bad, but um, I'm glad I uh, tried. So what led to casting? Yeah, so um, before I got into casting, I was mm-hmm. applying for a lot of jobs, and my right. first actual entertainment job was working as a, um, a production assistant for Murata Studios. Okay, and that is the uh, this Guillermo del Toro's del Toro's post production company, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was insane. It was like it was uh, it was very much like the Devil Wears Prada for me, not based on like the the psychosis of my boss but mostly just the the pace and the the quickness and they were testing me out for so many different things and i was doing bad and all of them they wanted me to do like sort of like 3d rendering and i was like i am not the right person to do this i sat in the back just confused about why they would make me do it um and it's it scared me again and so i was like you know what i have been moving so quickly for a long time let's take let's take some time away so then i had like a a little eat pray love moment of working in a restaurant and 
partying and living eating, it up. Eating, praying, eating, and I'm, I'm assuming loving. Praying, yeah, loving, a good amount of loving. Um, and so I did that for a couple years, and then uh, my... I got weird. <laughs> I got, not gonna lie, uh, I got a little weird when you said that. <laughs> that's for another podcast. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine who was working in unscripted television at the time said, hey, you should work on um, Hell's Kitchen. They're hiring for a talent PA. You would essentially be working as like a, like a, a restaurant greeter. I'm like, perfect. I do that in my day job anyway. So did that. And that was my first taste of being on set. And it was cool. Hell's Kitchen was cool. Um, I was like a talent PA in charge of all of the audience members that came and dealt with some of the celebrity guests as well because I have a couple every episode. Um, and that was fun. I was an underling. I had you know a lot of lame responsibilities like clean this up, do this now. But it was the thing that made me realize that unscripted, something that I never thought of before, actually as a possibility. Do you any spec scripts for those t- those kind of shows? For those kind of shows? No, no, no. No spec scripts. <laughs> no scripts for unscripted shows? No, no, no. We save that for, for interviews. We're going to do ah, that as well. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so that's when reality became a whole new world for me that I didn't, I never thought of exploring before. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so uh, what was your kind of first casting job? Yeah, so I worked on a fun show, Sex Sent Me to the ER. Um, ah, uh, I know that show. That was a, that was a really fun one. It's um, an interesting show. Yeah, I think a friend of mine was on that show. Oh, really? Yeah. Try to put a lot of friends. I think I tried to put some of my friends on. <laughs> um, uh, so that show was really interesting. Um, the Briefcase was another show that I worked on, which is like the CBS one-off that lasted one season. I think I remember that. Show. Yeah, that was a really. I mean conceptually a really great show i just it just wasn't received well right um so that was my first time of dealing with uh dealing with casting figure out what that what was the first company that you worked casting um uh, i worked for uh, michelle mock casting Mm -hmm. so she's done a lot of the or most of the america's next top model shows Mm -hmm. a lot of cbs shows and she was like the that's where i learned a lot of my beginnings with casting. Was what are some of the what are the, some things you learned? Yeah, so I I didn't know how you cast people for reality television. I knew how it worked in uh, scripted work. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends up being a lot of research. My job was to go online and try to find these people. Um, for new shows like that, you really can't give a lot of information. You want to keep stuff secret. So it's also like being a salesman. You have to find these people and then say, hey, there's this amazing show that you would be awesome for. I can't tell you what it's called. I can't tell you the network. I can't tell you what you're getting. I can't tell you the concept, but just trust me. Go along with it. It's really great. Um, uh, and most people are just like, no, who, what's Awkward. happening? Yeah, yeah. And so learning how to convince people to do something like that and mm-hmm. let them know that it would be beneficial and not give them any information. You know, I learned, had to learn how to be a spinster really quickly. It's a great show. Can't tell you anything about it, but I need you to be on it. Yeah. P.S. I've been doing a lot of loving. <laughs> Is and, that awkward to put at the end of my emails? And then they said, sign me up. <laughs> sign now. me up for the loving. Yeah. Not the show. <laughs> not the show. Um, so that was so that was your first opportunity yes. to work in casting. Yeah. Um, what? Just kind of go through your journey mm-hmm. of, of casting. Yeah. So I I was a PA for not a long time. I wanted to move up really quickly. So I ended up working um, at GRB Entertainment as the development casting producer. So there was a it was a very quick um, uh, I guess um, raise for me or advancement for me and. Uh, as the development person, you're looking for characters to sort of create a concept around. So um, they'll say, hey, we really want to do something around surf and yoga retreats. So then I will go talk to all these surf and yoga retreats throughout you know, Costa Rica 
or wherever they are and uh, try to find the cast, try to find these people. So then I would conduct an interview with them and the rest of the cast. And then I was also editing it by myself, creating a casting tape and then creating a paper pitch and then pitching it. So when I got that job, I had never done any of that before. I was just doing it. So I was like, okay, let's learn how to do this right now because I have to turn something in on Friday. So I was, uh, it was a challenge. Usually in a casting team, there's a researcher, there's an associate producer to do like preliminary interviews, a producer to do the actual interviews, a casting editor, a director to manage all of this. But as a development casting person, you are working on like five or six different concepts of shows all at the same time, all on your own, doing it all by yourself. I'll do by Monday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By by yesterday. We yeah, should have yeah. had a showcast yesterday. It was due yesterday. Yeah. This podcast was due yesterday. Yeah. So that was a huge learning curve for me. I had to, I, I literally had to learn everything in a day or two for mm-hmm. how to do it. I don't know how I got that job, but it was great. It was a good one. So how did the interviews go? Like if you were interviewing me, yeah. what like what would be the process? The the process. So uh, it if, took me a while to get a process down, but my, my main thing is to make um, make sure that we're friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Have a friendly conversation. Right. Um cuz you don't really you don't really know me if you're auditioning for this, right? right. So you don't really trust me. You're already like wary like what I is I don't happening? even know what the show is. Exactly. You don't know the show, so I really just want to guide this person into essentially giving me the Lines that I want. So what I do is um, you just ask a lot of leading questions mm-hmm. to get them to say something in a way, and then you like cut that down and mm-hmm. place it in the casting tape. Could so. you give me an example of kind of like one of those questions? Yeah. Like, um, you, like I said, if you were interviewing me for a show. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what's your here we go? What's your job? What do you do? Uh, well, I, I work at a uh, I'm the office manager for a local restaurant chain's corporate office. Yeah. Oh, cool. I uh, I'm also I, I'm a creator. I, I, I do writing and, and create. I also run a podcast that yeah. hopefully is going to be released soon. Awesome. Um, and I also uh, uh, shovel dirt. Okay. Uh, on the weekends. Wait, this this dirt. What do you mean? Talk to me more about the dirt. Well, you know, it's 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 not real dirt. It's fake dirt. Yeah. Uh, on the hills of the Sahara. Okay. Oh wow. So you've been to the Sahara often? Every day. Yeah. I mean, what's your favorite part of the Sahara? I mean, the hot part. The hot part. The hot, the heat. But the is heat. the yeah, absolutely the heat. But does the heat make it worth it to be in that sort of? I mean, the heat really job? gets me going. It right. really drives me to be a better person, uh-huh. to be a better uh, companion. Yeah. And to be a better uh, uh, spiritual being in the realm of this life. Okay, cool. Well, you have a you have a partner. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you tell me about them? I mean, well, they don't have a name. They okay. were born without a name. Oh, got it. And and they they don't have much of a personality. I think without the name, they never really got a personality. But they're funny. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. He, they just have so many jokes. Yeah. They're always laughing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't know why. Yeah. Someone's just staring at me for 20 minutes straight yeah. and laughing. I well, don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds but like. We just fit. Yeah. It sounds like you guys love each other then. It's a good it, combination. You know what? No. <laughs> we don't. You don't? No. Why not? Well, there's been some rough patches and the dirt thing really bothers yeah. them. What's been the What's been the roughest patch? You know, there was a moment where, um, I, for our anniversary, yeah, I decided to get them a book mm. on cleaning. Oh my god! And I thought this would be awesome. They love cleaning, and this is just tips to be better at it. Yeah, and didn't care for it, and I was very surprised. Oh my and god. it really just started a big fight. Mm-hmm. What did, What was the fight? What did they say? Well, they said I was a no good scoundrel. Uh, by the way, they argue in 1940s and 50s lingo. Okay, perfect. Uh, that I was a ne'er do well. Yeah. And that I was a scallywag. Yeah. 
Have you confronted them about all these words they use against you? <laughs> Man, this is this is like really it's like Google right. inception. Like you're just like like on page five now <laughs> of the Google of the Google search. Yeah. Uh, wow. That, and see, that's all. That's all it is. It's exhausting. Just, it is exhausting. Like, it gets, wow. It's just a lot of active listening, and like in that little five minutes, I mm-hmm. got you to say so many great things. You talked about there was like this great bite about the heat and like your work being great besides the heat, which we'll definitely use in the edit. And then I got you to talk crap about your partner, say that. <laughs> That you love them as well in a bite and then you also reenacted a fight all of that could be like a story man that's good see Look all it you. is just asking questions that's fantastic yeah. so, really so you funny. nailed it you nailed it you like yeah. got it down yeah so uh so talk to me like being on set and pre-production what was for you the differences how was your mindset different during those times yeah or even now like what's your mindset different like yeah so um uh, i was on set for for hell's kitchen and then we have casting weeks for a lot of shows when people are being moved around in a hotel they can't see each other that's technically for us being on set as well so there's just a lot more stress when you're on set there's a lot more um energy and things need to happen really quickly you have to think really quickly and that's something that i i sort of love i love that atmosphere um and pre-production things are you know not as quick um uh, but i look at pre-production really as a really important part of it because the cast of a show especially for an unscripted show is everything you think, well, it's, it's the show it's the show yeah yeah you think about like um like below deck is something that i think of like you have these cast of characters and there are like the show who's is your like, favorite you know what? I have to say, I don't watch that show. Oh, I only brought it up because it was, uh, it was something that's been brought up for me of like this format of like upstairs, downstairs, mm-hmm. where you see these characters and their um, work life and how they deal with that. And then the downstairs portion or like below the deck right. is dealing with all their interpersonal drama. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So those people are um, those types of casts are really fun because they have a lot to work with. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what shows have you what, what are some of the shows you've casted on? I have worked on um, uh, Revenge Body with Khloe mm-hmm. Kardashian. That's a really fun one. I mean, I've we, done. obviously we mentioned some at the beginning. Yeah, the yeah. Are there, was there any that we didn't mention at the beginning that you've worked on? Um, I've worked on a uh, a couple kids cooking shows. There's okay. one called Stove Tots, which is really really fun. It's Stove coming out Tots. soon. Yeah. So I love shows with the with these exceptionally gifted kids that make me feel extremely inadequate with how great they are <laughs> at things. And you cry in the corner at least twice a day. Oh yeah, all the time. But mm-hmm. seeing them when they are chosen, where we tell them. That things are going in a really positive direction for them it's great like these are kids like their whole life is going to school and then cooking for some of them now so do you interview i mean i can't imagine you interview them the same way as you would an adult no very well, different. so how so if i'm a child i'm now mm-hmm. let's say eight to ten right so i'm guessing that's comes usually the range eight to twelve probably right how would you approach me differently than before yes so for these kids shows i'm a a lot of energy. So I'm like backing away from the microphone already because okay. you have to approach this thing, these kids, with the energy that you want them to meet you at. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Amazing. I love your outfit, by the way. Oh, it's a great thank choice. you so much. I love the, the, the uh, hoodie you're wearing. Oh, my God. Those hoodie, the jacket you're wearing. Oh, great. So now here's what we're going to do, okay? So I'm going to need mm-hmm. you to give me all of your energy. Okay. Um, I need you to give me your name, age, where you live, what you do, right? And then tell me the uh, your favorite food item, okay? Oh, my name is Alfonso. Uh, I, I am from uh, uh, Schenectady, and I love to dance. 
Yes, perfect. That's so great, right? And yeah. so now I'm going to turn that off. So uh, <laughs> what, what I'm essentially doing is acting like a complete psychopath. So these kids meet me there. Right. I honestly, like, I love a lot of these kids that I work with, but I really am not this excited to be talking to a lot of them sometimes. <laughs> do you, you know? feel like, do any of them just stare at you? Like, what is happening? Yes. Yeah. And with kids, it's harder because they either have it or they don't. You can't sort of pull it out mm-hmm. of like, of you know, because they don't really... You know, you know if they're going to work or they're not. Right. Um, uh, but with those kids shows, I'll be dealing with the kid and the adult if they're under 18 years old. So Ooh. those are, yeah, there's a lot because the kid has to be great and talented and showcase their personality. And the parent also has to be really engaging or mm-hmm. be, you know, a different type of parent, depending on or how we're not to paint there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, let us have the space. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, okay, I want to talk about, I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about Intervention. Yes. Um, obviously a very different show right. than Hell's Kitchen or kids cooking competitions. Um, what is, how would you, what parts did you play on that show? Yes, I was a casting producer on that show. Um, which, which if you don't mind, like is what? Yeah. So the, the casting hierarchy, the casting producer is essentially in charge for the bulk of the interviews that are conducted via Skype and sort of overseeing the edits that are happening and also creating the paper pitch. The associate helps with a lot of the things I just mentioned, but they're mostly doing like preliminary interviews, finding cast members, and then like a researcher or an outreach person is just pulling leads your way of mm-hmm. people that could be good for the show. Right. Um, but on um, intervention as a producer, I was doing, uh, it was like a one man casting team again. I was interviewing all these people and editing all my Skypes down into one thing, doing the paper pitch, doing it all. Um, and that show was the... It's it's my favorite show I've worked on, and it's the hardest thing I've done since being in this city for sure. Mm-hmm. Who, like who, hands down. Were you? I mean, are you possibly interviewing both? Were you interviewing the addicts, or were you interviewing the family members, or a little bit of both? Yeah, interviewing everybody. Mm-hmm. So if someone, uh, the show's been on for a long time, so people no, will sorry. submit, um, and then we read through the submissions, trying to find a really good story of what we can put on TV. I will contact the person that has submitted them. Um, get a, an idea of the story, what's going on. Based on that, I'll see if I want to proceed. So the addict, as you know, they don't know what show they're on. So there is a little bit of coercion where I... Um, uh, you know, so that like, is true. They don't know they that don't it's know. an intervention show. Most of the time, they don't know. Mm-hmm. I always have a little bit of an inkling that they know what they're... They kind of know. I mean, after a while, that's. I think that's the thing with like when I when my, my wife and I watch it, we have to like... Yeah. At a certain point, it's been on so long... There's got to be a moment where we realize there's not really another show that casts addicts yeah. on as a as a lead player. Yeah. So this has got to be something fishy. Yeah. Right. It's. I mean, it was a lot. It's. It's not like asking kids, you know, how they make their cupcakes. Right. This is. It's life or death for these people. No, absolutely. I'm. Uh, I'm dealing with the addict, coercing them into being in this program, getting them to tell me everything about their life and all of the heartbreak that led to their drug addiction, mm-hmm. while talking to all of their family members that are weeping to me because of what their son or their daughter is doing with their life. They're living their, a tragedy. They and, are, and you're. They're relaying that tragedy to you. Yeah, and it was. I mean. Uh, Every phone call I had began or ended with tears. Ugh. Every single phone call, every single Skype, everything. And it was, I I became depressed. Oh, I, okay. I, I, How could you not? Especially, I mean, you seem, I, just from knowing you for a little bit as I, you know, talking to you, you seem like someone that probably takes on a little bit of the people you're around energy. Yeah. And so I'm sure when you're 
even through Skype, like, it's I I can't even imagine yeah going home after that and being like yeah. hey yeah that's I mean yeah that's very much me and so I was taking on all of this you know and then the phone calls I'm getting from parents hey we can't do this show my daughter died we can't do this show my son ended up going to rehab we have to wait until he gets out and it was I mean the things that people showed me on Skypes are things that I never asked for but I was I was shown mm-hmm. um, uh, and. I, yeah, I was depressed. I was like, I was working on the show for four months and I knew that I had to get, I need to check in with myself because mm-hmm. I was, I've never been more sad. Is that how, so long, is that how long you worked on the show? It was four months or it was, you... it was four or five months when I was mm-hmm. working on it. And then I came back later on and helped sort of find some more interventionists for the show. Okay. So that was a lot easier to oh, do, yeah, you know, I'm having sure. great professional conversations I'm with sure. these individuals. But the, yeah. It was it was a beast. What's some what are what, for those that listen that are big f- fans of the show? It's hard to say fans of interventions because it is such a heavy they're, show. Yeah, they're out there. What are what are some of the things that maybe people don't know about the show that you could? Is there anything you could possibly kind of some yeah, secrets? A little nugget. Um, what did they not know? I feel like or what, what would people be surprised? Oh, this to is know? something that yeah, people are probably surprised to know that most of uh, the uh, people that are you know sort of involved in the show um uh, have dealt with or have family members that have dealt with some sort of addiction so everybody that i worked with dealt with this in a very very serious way it was not salacious you know we had restraints from the network that we had to fit into but for the most part all of my superiors took it very very seriously this is life or death what we're dealing with and if it's a way to showcase the these conditions for someone to see somewhere and they can change their life you know that is beneficial because it sort of helped everybody that has worked on the show right yeah so that was probably the thing that i really liked because i've worked on shows where things aren't taken seriously right yeah was there um uh, were you ever on i say this loosely on set for any of the filming for that one i wasn't able to a lot of my other uh casting producers they get to did get to go on set Mm -hmm. but um i wasn't cool enough for that yet so um weren't up there yet yeah (laughs) but that's like imagine being on set for something like that oh i can't even it's four people and uh you know camera crew and then your producers and that's it you're going into you're going into the drug dens Mm -hmm. from what i've heard and then coercing people that are drug dealers to like sign a release to appear on something and you can't you can't lie you can't mm-hmm. tell them that it's it is intervention mm-hmm. so we have to find ways to dance around so, it like, what do you what do you death. tell them when you're doing the audition process mm-hmm. with the addicts themselves because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing i mean obviously the the families know yeah but what do you what do you tell them what do, what do they think they're they're filming yes we say all things that are true we say this mm-hmm. is a documentary that is going to be shown to uh, medical professionals and uh, also be shown in educational format so that people can understand how addiction affects others. It's a sort of like a PSA for them to not want to be a part of drugs. And what I learned about in working with addicts is that there is they're all shameful of what they're doing. You know, no one's you know an addict and they're showing it off. They feel bad about it. You know, they know what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's something that you can't shake. It's in your it's in your DNA. It's in your blood. So if they are able to help someone else, like they don't want other people to be drug addicts. So that was the impetus for them wanting to be on. Like right. if I can help someone out, then I would love to. Did you ever, I, I think, I, I know I've seen a few episodes, one or two episodes right. where like the, I know the, the addict is the one that wanted to be on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever run into that when you were casting where the addict was the one that kind of, 
Um, uh, yeah, there are people that would submit. They would submit mm-hmm. themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I know that this show offers, um, uh, you know, a scholarship program for rehab for three months, and it's great. Excuse me, and their um, their success rate for the people that we worked with is really high. So they know that it's good. They have really great medical professionals. We send them to great places. So they wanna they want it. You we know? love the interventionists. Like they're they're some yeah. of our like favorite. Like we, I don't know why. Just like, especially most of them are usually. It mm-hmm. seems like are usually past addicts yeah. themselves. Yeah, and it's just just how they approach the family is so interesting uh, to me because it's just like you have to, you have to be a certain type of person mm-hmm. to be able to, to wrangle the drama and focus it. Yeah, like this is what it's about. I know everybody has a story here, mm-hmm. and everybody's been wronged. Everybody's been hurt. But they have like to be able to take that and go, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. That's not why we're here. We're here to help. Yeah. You know, and that I can't like to lead that is got to be, you have to be a certain type of, and I, partly I think you have to have been through it in some form or fashion yeah. to do it. Now, um, my last question, yeah. we'll move on. I know I'm talking no, about, I, it's just, talk about I really enjoy the show. It's such day. an interesting, fascinating yeah. show. What, uh, obviously you mentioned sometimes people would pass away before mm-hmm. they could be on the show in such a heavy, obviously, interviewing process, who would you, and I say, again, I say this loosely, turn down? Who, right. who wouldn't make the cut? Like, what would keep people from being on? Right. Um, so there are a lot of different um, boxes that need to be checked for people to be on a show, mm-hmm. especially for something that's been on for a long time. We really want to keep the attention of the audience and show them something new. We want to show them something fresh, you know, but a lot of the times the people that would be applying for that show sort of have similar stories to what we have seen. So this sort of doesn't sit well with me on a personal standpoint, but overall I get it. You know, we have to market this in a certain way. What's the headline for this story? We need to find something that's going to grab people's attention besides, you know, just um, another person that's an alcoholic, another person that's a heroin addict because it's an easier selling point to get people to watch right. which I get it makes sense um, I know that's what networks do and that's what shows have to do so that's the hardest thing because I am dealing with people's lives and having them fit into a certain box was hard you know for you to pass on someone because you know they you know there there could be a little bit more drama because mm-hmm. I get it you have to have five acts you have to have this show and it really a lot of the times it doesn't sit well with me because these are people's lives but it's that's part of the game of unscripted. Did you have to? Tur- did you personally have to tell people like, "Oh, well, we've decided to pass." Yes. On you. Yeah. How? How for you was that? Um, uh, for me, it's horrible. Um, I mean, these families they sort of get strung along for a couple of weeks, and they believe this is going to happen. And so, when they finally hear it's not going to happen, they, you know, they what's next? You mm-hmm. know, they have to find a new way to save the life of this person. And that right. was something that was probably really difficult for me towards the end of working right. on that show. Right. Um, yeah. So was, final like, question about yeah, this. Yeah. What did you take away from that show? What I took, I working took, on it and being a part of it. Yes. Being a part of that show. I took, I took a lot. i learned, I learned how to be a good interviewer from being on that show. Cause I had to juggle so many different people. I also found, uh, really great ways of getting people on board to do something they don't know how to do it. You have to be really quick. You have to be really, really witty and really fast and making stuff happen and sort of being prepared for anything. And so I think that was probably what I took from it the the most, you know, having these interviews. If you can interview someone that is 
high on heroin, you can again ask a kid about their cupcakes and get the bites that you need. <laughs> what, what do you enjoy? Let's go to a more happy subject. Yes. What do you enjoy most about casting? Um, uh, the thing I like most about casting, well, I had a desire to become a psychologist or a therapist when I began college. That's what I wanted to sort of go down and never really happen. But having these interviews with people, it's very much like a therapy session. Absolutely. I just finished doing a wedding show, um, uh, which is a very difficult show to work on. But I got to track this couple's whole life story. And I love that people just tell me every single thing I and mean, just ask them. It's really easy from when they when they um, first met, when they fell in love, what they don't like about each other and sort of sort of like get them to fight in front of me and sort of like also make up in front of me. And it's great for the edit. But then I also sort of see these people on like the wedding show or any other show. They have realizations about themselves that they probably wouldn't have done if I wasn't interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And most of the people I interview don't get on a show, but they are able to learn again something most people don't need the shows that I'm on. I was on Revenge Body with uh, Khloe Kardashian, and that was like a, a weight loss show. So everyone was really scared about wanting to lose weight. But after talking to me for an hour, they realized what the triggers were for their weight gain, and they had the tools at their disposal to right. fix that. They didn't need the show. I like when people realize that because I can't put everybody on television. Did you ever meet Chloe? Yeah. How is she? I never met her. Oh, that's what's going to be if you never met her. No, I wish. Oh, I okay. wish. No. Curious. This she was on. She was in Calabasas looking at my casting edits. Uh, never met me. Never met you. But she said some really terrible things about you, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> I have to check her Twitter. I'm sure she's been saying uh, it. So how, how, did, how have you... How, how have you gone about building inter- relationships in this industry? I know it's sometimes it's tough. You have to network. You have to get to know people. Mm. So it really, I, I look at sometimes being in the, the entertainment industry as having to build leap pads or, you know, leap, uh, uh, yeah, leap pads or, you know, frog, frog lily pads. No, no, well, lily, lily pads. pads. Thank you. Lily pads. Leap frogs that go on lily pads. Yeah. Um, you have to, cause you have to hop kind of from like one person to the next to kind of advance yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how have you, uh, built and shaped those relationships. What and what advice would you give people to do that themselves? Yes, I think the what I've done is I just let it happen naturally. Mm-hmm. I've been in so many situations where you are having a conversation with someone, and I know what it's like to be in LA. Everybody wants to see who can help them out before I can even finish the sentence of the job that I do a card comes out and is handed to me or something of that nature. Or people are immediately telling me all their credits and how they can help me out. And I was like, I really just wanted to know where the bathroom was. Can we have a conversation? So um, there are people that are very much actively networking as Mm -hmm. like their job. And for them, it works. But for me, I don't want to have superficial relationships. I want to uh, actually have a connection with someone, work with people that I want to work with. So I bounce around to a lot of different shows and I've had, um, you know, we call people up. Hey, are you working on anything? I need a, I need a job. I'm like, oh, I have something for you. Let me pass you along. But the amount of people that I can do that with are like, I can count them on one hand. Right. And you have just those cool people and the people that are just always trying to get something out yeah. of you. I'm just going to slide this card over to you real quick. Yeah. Just there you yeah, go. I'll take just that. take that. Thank and you. Just, uh, oh, why are you putting it in the trash? That's yeah. weird. Um, I know. <laughs> always. Actually, a couple of days ago, I was having a drink and then I just mentioned the word 
like I don't even know what it was. I, I mentioned um, A and R. Shazam. There we go. Yeah, something like that. Something music related. Yeah. Not talking about working in it. And then as I left, these two people were like, "Oh, I heard you talking about A and R. My friend's an artist right here." And then they handed me a business card with like a USB drive with her songs on it. Oh, and I was boy. like, "I'm, I can't help you, but I love that you thought that I could from the <laughs> buzzword that you heard across the <laughs> restaurant." Fantastic. It's like if I was like, "Yeah, I'm writing, uh, I'm, I'm writing the the tip on this uh, check." Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard you write. Are you a writer? Do you work for a network show? Are you? Can you help me? No, I'm just writing the tip. Yep. I, I work at as a I'm, I work in space astronaut stuff. <laughs> I know words. <laughs> so, uh, so lastly, what when for every show that you've worked on and and team that you've been a part of from mm. UC Davis to now, um, and and in the future, what impact do you hope you leave on the people you've worked with and 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 directed or or, or just been a part of or helped cast and and even the people you've cast mm-hmm. in shows? What what kind of impact do you hope to have on these people yeah i something that i've learned is that to i've learned to not take things too seriously Mm. i feel like everyone is very very focused on wanting to reach a goal and i think being career driven is very important but i think people lose sight of fun of that's why like we work in entertainment this should be the most fun thing that anybody ever does so when i'm working on a show and people are bogged down by stress about having to find something for the for the network and the boxes that we have to check like you guys we're working we're working in reality television working entertainment these are the jobs we've always wanted to have if you approach it with wanting to have fun and enjoy yourself work will be easy so everybody that i work with i want to make sure that my team has fun because that's what we're supposed to be doing and not take things too seriously. And the people that I interview, like the the kids that are 12 years old and wanting to be on a cooking show and it's everything they want to do. I'm like, you know what? You have your whole life. Have fun. You know, do what you want to do, but things will come naturally if you're enjoying it. So that's sort of what I'm also doing with myself. I think I was very much wanting to make something happen in a certain way at a certain time and the way that I planned it out to happen and none of my plans have panned out. Honestly, right. you know, it just ends up Stuff falls into your lap. You make the best of it, and you have fun doing it. And then I think that takes all the stress and the pressure off. Are you, are you are you content with where you are? I am. Yeah. I you know I in the beginning of living in L.A. I for a lot of time I wasn't because I wasn't where I thought I was supposed to be, or the vision that I had now was different than the vision that I had a week ago or Let's a month ago. What did you think you were supposed to be? I when I first moved here, I thought I was going to be a, I was going to be a successful actor. I was going to be acting in uh, film and television. I also thought I was going to be um, in a writer's room. That's why I initially thought I was going to come here. Let's for. talk about that writer's room. What do you think that writer's room would look like? Ooh, the writer's room. <laughs> I would have been, uh, oh, very much like this room a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would have been the assistant in the back, like mm-hmm. getting Starbucks and listening to why all Why are these you putting yourself writers. as an assistant? Do you feel like you shouldn't be someone higher than that? Um, I feel like I should. I feel like you're also producing. Well, but it's great. <laughs> How, how was it? Was no, like, that oh, was good. good. That was good. Yes. My friends catch me when I go out. They're like, stop producing this poor person. <laughs> they don't want to be on anything. They can hear. I just it. wanted to see if I could. I wanted to see if I could get in there. Just you did gonna... a great job. Yeah, you got me. There were a couple bites we got out of that. <laughs> and I did. Well, let's let's mark those down. Let's mark those down. <laughs> Look at uh, the time for, for the reality show of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any last advice to people that want to get into casting, uh, reality, especially I guess reality casting? Um, how would they kind of get into that? Uh, to start off, I guess, what would be their best bet? Yeah. Um, uh, I think that being very proactive is key. 
Um, so if there's a company that you want to work for, a job that you want to work for, send somebody an email. If there's um, a, a boss that you like or admire, hey, this is what I have to offer. I would love to get involved in this. There are a lot of different shows. Um, I got my jobs from Facebook. The internet is amazing. All the job postings are there for you. Um, uh, Staff Me Up is great, but I mean, um, yeah, friend, friend connections, which is so annoying because that's the way that the, it works. It's really hard in the beginning to get a job, but once you get that one job, it all falls right. in place. And any advice for when they're doing it? What like what's one thing you feel like they should look at themselves and make sure they have or they should bring to the table? Yeah, is this just for for casting or yeah, people yeah, like entry yeah. level into? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, when they get the position, when they go in, like what's something they should really bring so that people notice them and that help them, you know, build their repertoire, if you will. Yes, always be helpful. I think that's the thing that helped me out a lot. Mm-hmm. Was when my task was done, I asked twelve. Who needs help? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be an asset. I need to prove I'm an asset. So always be doing something. Right. Always be trying to show people why they need you. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Right then. Well, uh, anything coming up that you want to uh, pitch and mention and talk about? Yeah. Um, uh, the Probably the best thing about working freelance for casting and reality television is there are a lot of breaks. Mm-hmm. So right now I just finished a gig a week ago. Mm-hmm. So now I'm sort of hanging out nice um i'll be reaching out to people really soon to see if there are any other shows that i can work on i also try to um uh, explore another avenue of reality if i can so there are a lot of different departments i haven't explored yet and you know i'm a i want to be a jack of all trades so i always you're, try to you're learn. looking around yes yeah <laughs> looking around um and all that loving yes yes plenty of time for that with a lot of work uh, where can people find you People can find me on uh, my social media accounts, my casting account, jazz underscore casting um, is my Twitter handle. That's where I do a lot of my outreach for people to put on shows Um, and Instagram uh, jazz underscore trice. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to chat your off and talk about reality casting and intervention and all that fun stuff. Uh, I hope you stay around. We'll do a roundtable conversation. Michael's going to jump in and that'll be on the next episode. Uh, But again, thank you so much. You've been just fantastic to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Well, back to you, Michael and Daniel in the studio. I mean, come on. That was so great. So much great advice and information that Jazz offered. He truly opened up to us about um, casting these shows that can be really difficult and serious because you forget these are real people. Like these are people's lives that are on the balance sometimes, you know, on the edge, and you really have to be careful about how you approach that. Um, but that was just that I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jazz. Um, one of the things that really kind of got me was you know him deciding to leave sports and go into theater and and film and things like that because. He had such a great promising future there. He was doing so good at it. He was breaking records and, and you know winning medals. And it was just kind of like he made that decision to leave it and, and pursue what he loves. And you know I, some people don't do that. And so if you're out there and you're debating and you're thinking, I really want to give this a try, do it. You know, you don't have to stick to what you've been doing for years. You can try other things. You know, I know back in high school, it got to a point where I had to choose between theater and choir. Um, I know very similar things, both in the arts, not as different as sports and and theater, but 
you know, I had to pick eventually to what I was going to focus a lot of my time on and I chose theater because that's just where I really felt at home. And so, you know, I'd really applaud that as on top of him choosing to leave acting and pursue a different path in the entertainment industry. Um, that takes a lot of uh, guts and a lot of uh, passion for just the industry and just the want to be a part of it and kind of takes the ego out of it where you don't have to be in front of the camera and you and, and being open to realizing the things about you as you go along and not denying maybe what you're feeling. No, no, this is definitely what I would do. And just hating yourself and feeling terrible and not really loving what you do. Make sure you love what you do, people. If you no matter if it's in the entertainment industry or not, if you just listen to this podcast just because you love to hear about the entertainment industry and you have no care to be in it. Do what you love, whatever that is. If you are sitting there and you're resenting every day you have to go to work, maybe you're not at the place you should be at. Find what you love to do and find a way to do that every day or some version of that every day because you should be happy with what you're doing 40 hours a week. You know, If not, what's the point? You're just, just mad or angry all the time and stressed. It's not worth it. It's, it's definitely not worth it. So make sure, like Jazz, be aware of where how you're feeling about what you do and open to change and open to something new and starting something from the bottom um, that maybe you didn't feel you would start before. Um, you know, reality shows have really impacted um, our society and film in a lot of ways because there's people who are celebrities that you're like, what? why are you famous? I don't understand why you're famous? Uh, you know, I, I could I could name names, uh, but I'm sure you already know some of those people. But there's shows on like Bravo and E where you're just like, people like really follow you, and like you have you become like a role model for people, and it's it's so interesting because it's like they don't really have a talent; they're just themselves. So the talent is their personality, I guess. But it's just interesting, and I feel like that sometimes that's caused a little bit of are the arts industry to be dumbed down a little bit and maybe a loss of care for narrative storytelling. And now there is a story. I mean, you do tell a story in any reality show. That's not, I'm not saying you don't, but, and it's just, you know, it, sometimes you think, I feel like there's, that takes away from actors too, because there's spots that could go to a TV show, a narrative TV show that's being taken up by reality TV. And luckily there's Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and IFC and Sundance and all these other channels that are doing original content now. So it's really opened the market up, especially like some places like Hulu and Netflix that aren't restricted by days of the week and times during the day where they have to, you know, they can put out 18 shows in one week if they wanted to. Um, but it's just, it's really interesting to think about how, what it takes away to have, you know, the rich kids of Beverly Hills on TV. You know, what is it? What are you taking away from that? And, you know, Bravo recently just started in the last few years doing original shows instead of reality shows. Um, they still have several reality shows, but I'm glad they're starting to mix some original content to give the, you know, to kind of add that space back for a lot of narrative storytelling. Um, but something to let you guys know, like we said at the beginning, we had some news about jazz. Um, jazz, since the recording, has explored more dimensions of uh, the reality world and he has now landed a job working at a, as a casting producer for America's Got Talent. Woo! Way to go, Jazz. That's my celebration song for you. Um, this has been the biggest show that he's ever been on and he would love to invite 
any of you guys, anybody listening right now, this is what's really great, and I love having these relationships. He wants to invite any of you guys who want to ad- uh, audition for America's Got Talent. If you think you have a talent and you could make it to Vegas, um, he wants. If you know somebody that does, he wants you to uh, uh, please email him at Jazz Trice Casting. That's J A Z Z T R I C E Casting casting at gmail.com jazz trice casting at gmail.com if you are talented or you know somebody's talented or if you've seen somebody on youtube that you want to just suggest um send it his way uh they're looking for anybody and if anybody's got any an edge of talent that could maybe not get three x's they want to see you so that's exciting congratulations jazz that's that's awesome man i'm so happy for you guys um so yeah remember us to follow remember to follow us we'll probably have more updates on jazz and our other guests uh, on Twitter at LAHustleCast.com, on Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Uh, we post a lot of great things on Twitter and, and Instagram, a lot of fun stuff. We really want to engage with you guys. We want to chat. We want to have conversations about things. So definitely hit us up there. You can also email us if you have questions about uh, uh, reality shows or casting or you have your thoughts about reality shows or what are some of your favorite reality shows. Email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. You can always visit us at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. As you can see, there's a trend here of where to go and see us. Uh, but coming up next, uh, Michael will be joining us for a roundtable discussion with Jazz about the golden age of television that is currently happening right now, a flourish of new shows and new types of shows and people really digging into the edge of TV, which is amazing. Um, we talk about how to find one's identity in the arts and how to find your place and what you should be doing. And we also speak more about the evolution of the dream, how your dream can change and the path you take can change. So we have some great discussion. Jazz has some great advice and some great thoughts. So please don't miss this next episode coming out next Tuesday. But until then, please always remember to keep up the hustle. This episode of the Hollywood Hustle podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, please visit our website at hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.